What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Down the Line. I am Kyle Betts, joined by Brett and Honda. It is currently about 8.30 p.m. here on the West Coast. It's Thursday, June 2nd, when we're recording this. And we just saw game one of the NBA Finals wrap up. We're going to react to that. We're also going to get into... Darwin Ham as the new head coach of the Lakers as well. Talk about the match like we previewed last week. We'll get into some fantasy football mock drafts as well. And then Tommy Pham, Jock Peterson, that whole situation, we're going to break that down and more from the MLB and then obviously M Trivia. That's kind of what we're going to run down here today. But episode 51, Brevin, how are you feeling? Um, what was your initial reaction to game one in the NBA Finals so far? I think the best way to describe that game would probably just be busy. Yeah. <laughs> busy with the scoring. A week's been busy preparing for OC for this game for both teams. Our weeks have been busy covering some golf. Yeah. I've been covering some golf at the collegiate level, covering some Arizona State men's golf who just finished in the uh, as the national runner-ups uh, in Division One men's golf. Yesterday, uh, I was watching the match between Tiger, as we mentioned, between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes going up against Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. So we'll get more into that. Just a pretty busy week, I would say. A lot of sports going on. You got some, you got some World Cup qualifying going on right now. Some yeah. hockey going on. Uh, we're still uh, in the midst of the baseball season, as you've been talking. So a lot of a lot of it's pretty much been busy here in the world of sports over the last couple of weeks as we begin the month of June. Yeah, I think you're right. That's a good word to kind of describe that. And this game tonight that we had in the NBA Finals game one, just a lot going on with that. But I'll bring it back to kind of what we've been doing, Brevin. Like you've been mm-hmm. covering games these past few weeks. I've been out at NCAA golf. And this is kind of a period in the year where we see a transition. We're going to see less sports kind of happen over the course of the next couple of summer months. But I think, you know, it's still great to kind of follow these playoff series. We got NHL going on NBA as well. Um, so once all that ends and then obviously NCAAs, I think the only thing that's still going on with that is track and field, but uh, in softball, yeah, but other than that, we're kind of reaching that certain point of the year where things will eventually slow down, but Hey, I think we're in a good spot right now where we can talk about everything that's happening within these, I mean, honestly, past couple of weeks, because some of the stories like that fantasy football situation, that's been an evolving situation <laughs> over the course of who knows how long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to change things a little bit up. Usually we've been talking baseball, but let's get into some NBA right now. And these Boston Celtics, who are in the NBA Finals, had to play seven games in Eastern Conference Finals in order to get to play in San Francisco tonight. They had to take down the Miami Heat in seven games. The Miami Heat, though, they almost pulled off a comeback in Game 7, went on in, I think it was an 11-0 run late. This was back on Sunday, but it was too much of a lead, and uh, the Celtics held on for a 196 win. And the Celtics are in the NBA Finals for the first time since 2010. 
Yeah, their second half surge really paid off for them. Their defense improved. And like you mentioned earlier in that game, you know, they kind of had a surge near the end. But in the end, the Celtics prevail. And I think, you know, they are the worthy team out of the East. They definitely went through a tough road to get to this point in the finals. And that's what put them in the situation, obviously, being the two seed, but playing the Warriors, a three seed, the Warriors hosting at home for game one here tonight as well. So um, obviously would have preferred myself personally, I would have preferred to see the Heat in the finals, but I mean, Celtics Warriors, just a great matchup on paper. And I think we kind of saw how it all unfolded tonight that this is, this has the potential to be one of the best NBA final series, depending on what happens. Obviously it's only been one game so far, but I mean, just incredible scenes coming out of San Francisco tonight. Yeah, just a tale of two quarters between the third and the fourth quarters. You saw Golden State outscore Boston. I think it was it's like 38 to 16 or something like that in that uh, third quarter, 38 to 24. But then you say the Celtics come back in the fourth quarter, outscoring the Warriors 40 to 16 to win by 12. And that was pretty much the difference in the ball game and how well the Celtics were able to shoot late. And it wasn't just from Jason Tatum. It was from Jason Tatum. It was all over with others. Marcus Smart, whether it was Al Horford, uh, Peyton Pritchard, it was every single pretty much. There was a guy on the floor wearing green. And they were going to make a basket. Yeah, they tighten up. And Ime Udoka, coach of the Celtics, said that in his, you know, mid-game interviews. And we kind of saw that near the end. That's why they kind of clamped down. They locked up Warriors were missing shots that they made earlier on in the game. And you said it, Al Horford, I mean, just what a game for him. First NBA Finals, playing some very inspirational basketball. I mean, he's a guy who can do it all on the floor with his size, with, you know, even his mobility at his, at his age right now. I mean, he's still moving around pretty well. He gets to the basket and finishes there strong. So he was key in that game. Derek White as well. I mean, he was a sharpshooter in that, just hitting threes left and right. And they just have a lot of role players on their team that are able to get the job done. And we're seeing that here. And even on a night when their defense isn't at its best, they're still able to surge on the road during game one of the finals. We go on two really big runs to put them in a position to win. They ultimately did. And I think this is still going to be a great series because we saw what Steph Curry did tonight with 21 in the first quarter. And so he can do that at any time. He kind of slowed down after that, but Again, Steph Curry, and, you know, I think he's really searching for another championship here this season with Klay Thompson back. Draymond, Draymond definitely didn't play his best tonight either, but um, I think this still has potential to be a great series. Wouldn't be surprised if it goes seven games to this point. As you mentioned, Steph Curry, he had 34 points on 12 of 25 shooting, 7 of 14 from beyond the arc, five rebounds, five assists. Uh, that was a game high. Uh, as you mentioned, Al Horford, he had 26 points, which was a team high for the Celtics. One of three uh, Boston players with at least 21 points. Uh, as you mentioned, White, he had 21 on five of eight from three. And then Jalen Brown had 24 points and seven rebounds. Uh, you mentioned Jason Tatum. He had a double-double, 12 points. Even though he wasn't scoring, he got 13 assists to – keep his team in the ball game and finding yeah. ways to get them the ball. And that was he in that fourth quarter. 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy when he's not even your leading scorer, just goes to show, like, they have a guy who can step up at any time and be a provider in terms of scoring. I mean, just seeing how these guys have stepped up, guys off the bench like Derek White, Pritchard, even at times throughout the season, and you can keep going on and on about that. Daniel Tice even, I mean, relieving Williams, you know, when he's tired. Um, when Tice is out there, he's always bringing that physical presence. So this is a really good team that's put together and assembled very well. They're managed very well. And I think, you know, this is a team that should be in this position and they just prove that they can beat the best because the Warriors probably are the best team in basketball and they have been ever since the return of Clay. So um, it's going to be fun to watch for these next few games. Game two is on Sunday at 5 o'clock p.m. And then game three in it. Boston is on Wednesday at 6 o'clock p.m. So that's the upcoming slate within the next couple of games. Seems like this series is going to go if uh, the Warriors can shoot the ball the way they know they can, especially we saw in the first half. I think this this series can go seven games. What do you say, Cal? Yeah, I think so, too. This is going to be a series that goes – Obviously, six or seven games, but I think it's more on the edge of seven now, especially with Boston ending up on the road game one and taking it. This was also a Boston team that won three of their four games in Eastern Conference Finals in Miami, so on the road. So this Boston team is known to to be road warriors, as you can quote unquote say, or know how to win on the road. This was Golden State's first loss at home during this playoffs. Wow. Um, so a couple of things there. And biggest thing was that the Celtics outshot the Warriors. Um, let me pull this game up again. It was about 50%. Boston shot. Celtics shot 50% from the floor, including 51% from three. The Warriors shot 44% overall and 42% overall. So that was pretty much the difference in the game. 39 rebounds apiece. Um, yeah. So pretty much the effectiveness of the shooting is the difference here tonight. Yeah. I mean, it's great to see. I mean, these two teams squaring off against each other just how they are made up in terms of their rosters, how they play Boston being so defensive, so physical, the Warriors being the speedy sharpshooting team that they are too. I mean, it's going to be a great rest of the series. I mean, no doubt about that, but even with this final series going on right now, the season not being done, we've had some head coaching changes. That includes the Lakers, Darvin Ham is a new head coach. He was an assistant with the Bucks in Milwaukee. And this is hopefully going to be a turning point for the Lakers as they have struggled in recent times and have looked for a guy to kind of spice things up and, and add a spark. And I think the roster needs some, a little bit of that too. But this is definitely a guy who wasn't necessarily high profile, like Doc Rivers, one of those candidates, but He's a basketball mind who has shown, even as an assistant, you know, working alongside Budenholzer, that their system works, and hopefully he can bring some of that to L.A. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Darvin Ham was with the Milwaukee Bucks previously, as you mentioned, under Mike Budenholzer. They were also together when the pair were in Atlanta with the Hawks. Okay. But this isn't uh, Ham's first time working with the Lakers. Um, he was in the purple and gold as an assistant from 2011 to 2013. Um, so this is this will be Darvin Ham's second uh, appearance with the Lakers first time as the head coach. Yeah, interesting. I mean, with that resume, you know, being around as long as he has, being an assistant, he's one of those guys who is, you know, more than likely ready for this position. And obviously he is assuming a big role with the market, the team, the history, and the current struggles they've been going through. So I think we'll just have to wait and see what happens this offseason. The players that are shipped away or not signed by the Lakers – and then also who they bring in, who they who they draft. I think they have a second round pick at least. So um, there's also that, and then free agency. So there's a lot to happen, and he's going to be a key part of it. And I think mm-hmm. that's going to be fun to watch. And obviously LeBron being involved as well. Yep. LeBron also became the first billion dollar NBA player in history. Brevin, thoughts on that? Kind of hard to imagine, but you think about what he's been able to do. All the contracts, you think about how much the bonuses that he gets, whether it's through his contracts or even just through the TV deals that he's able to acquire through the years. And I think that's benefited him in this game to be the first billionaire, billion-dollar player here in this league. Um, think about how how hyped his draft class was with him and Carmelo. And you see that continue to rise through the MVPs that he's had um, even, even as a rookie and how good he was Um, that transition um, with Michael Jordan, leaving the league to LeBron James entering the league. Yeah, I think you're right. It's been incredible seeing his growth too. I mean, just as a person, as a player too, um, all the way back early 2000s till now. And he recently did a tour Q&A, and I saw that he said he plans on playing as long as his body allows him, and right now he feels great. So we're going to see him end up playing with Bronny at some point, too. That's going to be fun to see, but uh-huh. I think you're right in terms of what he's been able to do and securing these, these contracts, these sponsorships, these endorsement deals, and then uh-huh. also the movies. Yep, Space Jam 2, so, for example. Space Jam, yeah, so obviously mm-hmm. that's bringing in a lot for him, too. Um, just so much money pouring into the James household. But rightfully so. I mean, he is a worldwide figure. He always will be. And I think that he it's fitting that he's the first one to be the billion-dollar, the first billion-dollar NBA athlete because of what he's accomplished in his career and in the current mm-hmm. state of society that we live in, too. Mm-hmm. One more nugget on Darvin Hamcott. I don't know if you guys know this or listeners know this, but Laker fans might not like this nugget that I'm about to give, but Darvin Ham, he was on that 2004 Pistons team that won that NBA title over Kobe and Shaq in 2004. Interesting. See, he was an assistant on that team as well. He was a player. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Not, I honestly have not looked in much into him, but mm-hmm. that's very interesting. 
He played eight NBA seasons across six teams and was part of that Pistons championship roster in 2004. Really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also interesting. Yeah. He, he played for the Philippine Basketball Association as yep. well. So mm-hmm. That's after his NBA career. That's interesting too. Mm-hmm. So a lot of Lakers um, connections, good or bad, uh, within this Darvin Ham uh, acquisition. We mentioned LeBron James. We think about how much how much sports has grown with money these days, whether it's basketball, whether it's football. And we got to see some football players on the links yesterday for Capital One's The Match. Uh, between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, two veteran NFC quarterbacks going up against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, two young bloods, two firepowering young bloods uh, in the AFC. This was, took place yesterday at the Wind Golf Club in Las Vegas. It was a 12-home match, a shamble format. Um, for this uh, match, there were no pros and no caddies, so we saw some shanks out there. We saw some shots go long of the hole, and it was uh, a lot of fun, I would say, yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't see any of this, but kind of reading reaction on Twitter and the details of this match, it it does seem pretty interesting. And Brady Rogers birding the final hole. I mean, it it makes sense. They're older. They've been golfing longer in their lives. And... uh, I think, you know, it's fitting for them to win in, in this match. Obviously, interesting to see these football players go at it. And then, obviously, the rule with the mulligan. Yep. Very interesting as well. They had <laughs> and, a head and I'll be honest, Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know what a mulligan was until, like, two days ago. <laughs> because I was actually out covering the NCAA golf mm-hmm. championships, like, like you mentioned earlier. And just learning various golf terms. Yep. Mulligan was one that came up and um, yeah, I, I was actually at the course at Greyhawk in Scottsdale watching the national championship match when the match between these quarterbacks was going on. So that's why I didn't mm-hmm. watch this, but I think, you know, this is going to continue. I mean, an annual tradition at this point and th- they make it fun. And I think that's how it should be. Um, going to be interesting to see if they kind of mix PGA Tour athletes with quarterbacks again in the future, or if they just stick mm-hmm. with quarterbacks. Or um, I, I think the format, the way they change that, um, keeps it interesting, keeps it intriguing and exciting for the viewers, and that's why they continue to do it every year. Mm-hmm. Although Derek Carr and the Raiders, who are uh, in the midst of OTAs right now, no. No Raider was in attendance, but uh, Arizona Cardinals defensive end J.J. Watt was uh, commentating alongside Charles Barkley, Ernie Johnson, and Trevor Immelman. So J.J. Watt was uh, sent right next to Charles Barkley trying to say that he could be a better golfer than Charles yesterday. Really? Uh-huh. Charles probably didn't take exception to that. He probably didn't take that lightly. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, it was all good. A lot, a lot of fun out there uh, in Vegas. Uh, plenty of trash talking going on. I bet. Uh, let's see. Josh Allen played a uh, had a ball with Brady's face on it from his 
combine photo way, way back in the day. <laughs> That's awesome. And then on the course, Brady came out with a ball with a Super Bowl trophy on it and asked Josh Allen if he's seen one of those. Because <laughs> of the four, Josh Allen uh, hasn't played in a Super Bowl and also hasn't won a Super Bowl. Um, we mentioned that Mulligan, uh, play, uh, in order to earn the Mulligan, players had to uh, throw a football at a target, which was a big head of Charles Barkley. And the first to use that mulligan was Allen on the par three sixth uh, after his shot uh, went in the water. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Pretty. There were some great shots on the day. Aaron Rodgers got things going, uh, helped him and Brady go two up through two, um, finding the fairway, finding green, um, and uh, two putting for par getting that birdie putt on the par, uh, par five second. So he was, uh, I think he was probably the MVP yesterday right? Uh, in that match. Uh, let's see, what else happened? Um, oh, Patrick Mahomes made a big time, I think it was a par save to keep the match tied at six. Yeah. Um, Big time, yeah. Par save, breaking left to right. Um, what else did I see? Um, Mahomes and Allen did take a lead through nine hole. Uh, took a one up lead through nine. Wow, they blew it. Mm-hmm. But then uh, Rogers and Brady got it back on ten. Yeah, they tied it back on ten. Um. After uh, Brady made a birdie, and they uh, they won it on twelve. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, there were some mulligans used on twelve. I think the other three used their mulligans. I'm pretty sure, and the the mulligans had to uh, be off the tee, so they couldn't be with a putt with an approach shot. They had to be solely off the tee. Mm. Uh, let's see. And Brady took his T, his mulligan off the 12th T. Um, Mahomes took his mulligan off the 12th T. Um, so yeah, it was a pretty back and forth, uh, match that 12th. Pin location on the back left hole locations. Right. Um, let's see. So, yeah. Um, Brady uh, missed a 12 foot birdie putt, but then Rogers, um, Rogers read that putt breaking right, breaking left to right, and sunk it in for the win on the 12th hole yesterday. So was was Brady or Rogers overall better in your opinion, or just based off performance? I would say more Rogers. I think he was a little bit more consistent with his shots. Um, obviously, he won them three three of the four holes that they won. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So I would say Aaron Rodgers is more of the MVP than Tom Brady. <laughs> there you go. But there were moments yesterday where 
we think about Tom Brady, what he's done on the football field. Yeah. There's things that he did on the golf course that an, an average golfer would do on a, on any given day. <laughs> missing putts uh, two feet to the left and or missing uh, missing a putt underneath the hole and can't believe it. Um, just, uh, yeah, that was <laughs> – there were some things Tom Brady did that a lot of us do on the course. Yeah, I wonder if he was able to get some practice in after he uh, retired for, uh, what was it, three weeks? <laughs> yeah. They call him Big Chief Marketer. And then, uh, oh, no, I'm going to come back and play. Yeah. But, yeah, super fun event. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some fantasy football. Kyle and I, we did some uh, ESPN 10-team PPR points snake mock draft. So we're going to both go over that when we come back. We're going to talk some baseball. We're going to talk about the Padres, the Angels, and we're going to get into some trivia as well coming up when we come back here on Down the Line. everyone and welcome back to another episode of down the line i'm brevin honda alongside kyle betts this is half number two of our show in the first half we were talking some hoops with the boston celtics defeating the golden state warriors in game one of the nba finals 120 to 108 we were also talking about how they got to the nba finals taking down the miami heat in seven games uh, with Game 7 coming down in South Beach, we are also talked about the Lakers with uh, their new head coach in uh, Darwin. Um, with their new head coach, we also talked LeBron James uh, being the first billion-dollar basketball player. And speaking of money, we talked about four high-profile quarterbacks uh, playing on the links between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers going up against Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes in Las Vegas with the Wind Golf Club for Capital One's The Match, which Brady and Rogers won on the final hole with a birdie to win one up. Now we're going to continue talking some football among what they do on the gridiron because Kyle and I, we get, uh, we're going to go into some fantasy football now. Uh, it's, it's the offseason. We're getting close to, we're slowly but surely getting closer and closer to fantasy football season just a few minutes away. And we teased this last week, and we're going to go over this now, but Kyle and I, we both did a 10-team PPR uh, mock draft. Yes. Um, we did two different drafts. 
Um, I had the number four slot in my draft, and Kyle had the number nine slot in his draft. And our first picks were both wide receivers. Um, At number four, I took Justin Jefferson. Um, Kyle took Devontae Adams, the newest member of the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, Kyle and I pretty much we go pretty even within our first five picks uh, in terms of positions. We Mm -hmm. really do. Mm -hmm. Kyle goes Alvin Kamara with his second round pick. I take Leonard Fournette. Uh, and that happens more in the back half of round two. Kyle was in the early part of the second round. Uh, third round, we both were able to land Keenan Allen with our teams. Remember, we're, we were drafted in two separate leagues. Uh, we both drafted Darren Waller. Kyle drafted Waller in the fourth round. I yeah. took Darren Waller in the fifth round. But we both took running back with the other pick. So I had Nick Chubb in the fourth round. Kyle took David Mott. Gumbry in the fifth round and yep. so we both have filled out our two running backs our two receivers and our tight end Kyle how do you feel about both these teams so far yeah I mean we are pretty similar in terms of how we drafted obviously the players are a little bit different but I think for the most part we had similar approaches mm-hmm. when we look at the we think about how the how the drafts have been going on so far. We see Jonathan Taylor first, followed by the first wide receiver off the board in Cooper Cup, followed by Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler, followed by Justin Jefferson, Derek Henry, Jamar Chase, uh, Najee Harris, Debo Samuel, and Alan Kamara to round up the top 10. This is on average picks among snake drafts on ESPN Fantasy Football. And for me, I had the option between McCaffrey and Justin Jefferson. Um, Kyle, do you remember uh, who you had uh, to debate between with Alvin Kamara? Oh, man. Alvin Kamara. Um, I think it was Fournette, actually, and a couple other running backs mm-hmm. in round two. Yeah. Ultimately, I, I like his pass catching ability a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that offense is going to be looking a lot different with mm-hmm. their new weapons and um, obviously change of scenery at, at head coach too, but um, I think this is going to be a really exciting season for him. Obviously he's always a threat. You hope for the same this time around. Um, last season he was hurt a little bit, didn't produce as much. Um, so I, I think it is a little bit of a risk with the second mm-hmm. round, but I think the reward outweighs any of the other guys that were in that position in round two just because of what he's done in the past and he's helped me out several times in fantasy so mm-hmm. I kind of go back to that formula yep who were who were some names that were popping out at you uh just before you picked Devontae Adams man it, it was tough there, there were there were some guys who were really just standing out to me I, I think Mixon was one of them mm-hmm. to be honest because he was in that one to two round range yep. in that spot and you know I thought about it but I was ultimately like nah I'll probably pass on him um, honestly a, a couple more temptations that I, I can't even think about right now like in, in terms of wide receiver and, ru- and running back I think at the ninth spot in a, in a 10 team PPR league 
you're going to find more value at wide receiver because yep. the guys that you want, JT, uh, Najee Harris even, that's a guy I really look for because they're going to use him a lot. I look for guys uh, that get a lot of production and can do it at a high level. And so no running backs really at that spot stood out to me. And you can't go wrong with Devontae Adams. I thought he was the best wide receiver up at the time. And, yeah, that's that's really one into that. I think there were a couple other receivers there. But, I mean, at that spot, he was the best one. Mm-hmm. So after Kyle and I fill out our two running backs, our two wide receivers, our two tight ends, we kind of go the same route here. My sixth round, I went with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Kyle went with another runner, but with his first and his quarterback in Lamar Jackson. And then in the seventh round, I took Jalen Hurts. So there's our quarterbacks going off the board there. Kyle then went with a Denver Broncos favorite in Jerry Judy uh, in the seventh round. Kyle and I both took A.J. Dillon. Kyle took him in the eighth round. I took him in the tenth round. But yeah. I go be- Round mm-hmm. eight was weird. There were other running backs there, but I, at that point, I was like, man, I need to take a runner, but I don't know who. And mm-hmm. honestly, I was just like, A.J. Dillon's the best one here. I mean, he's going to get a lot more touches. Mm-hmm. should, and especially goal line carries. So yeah. that was pretty much my pick there. Mm-hmm. The thing about A.J. Dillon is he's also in a backfield that also includes Aaron Jones. Yeah. Um, so both of them might be splitting touches the way we might have uh, on a higher scale to what we saw last year compared to yeah. Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. Exactly. Uh, maybe like a higher note yep. uh, here in 2022, as we saw from Dylan as the season went on and uh, Aaron Jones was hurt uh, for some parts of last year. Um, I do get another receiver. I got Allen Robinson. I went back-to-back wide receivers. Uh, Allen Robinson in the eighth round uh, in a new uniform, but within a Sean McVay offense, it's something that, that pleases you um, better than what he did in Chicago. Then I took Traylon Burks. I was more of because I took too much time in trying to figure out who I was going to pick, so that just went straight to auto-pick. So between the picks eight through 11, I go three wide receivers with A.J. Dillon. Then with how much depth I've acquired, I figured let's just go with a defense here. Yeah. So I take the Bills there at round 12. And Kyle, before we move on in mine, after you, uh, you take A.J. Dillon, you get a second tight end in Dallas Goddard. Yep. Uh, you get another Eagle and Miles Sanders. Uh, I also get Kadarius Tony and a depth wide receiver in Naeem Himes. That'll really help with JT if he is out during this year. Yeah, Hines is going to be a pass catcher. He's going to be a runner. And this is going to be his biggest year, I think, by far. I kind of expected that last year, and we didn't really see it, but I think that the Colts are going to realize at some point we can't be running JT 30 times a game. We have to preserve him somehow a little bit more. So Hines is going to be the guy. And really like that pick. I think my ninth round pick with Goddard was a little bit surprising to see him drop to that point. But yeah, mm-hmm. I took advantage of it. He could be a flex. He could start. Um, 
I mean, he's really a very versatile guy for that offense in Philly. Mm -hmm. And then Sanders, like you mentioned, best running back available at the time. And then Kadarius Toney, like you said, round 11, my pick there. Um, Just so electric, so speedy. Footwork is incredible. He reminds me of Jerry Judy. And that's really why I wanted those guys because they could absolutely toast you in route running and get some separation. They got hands to get the job done and obviously their speed. I think too, it helps with that Dallas Geyer pick is if you know that if you're going to rely on Devontae Adams and you know, Darren Waller is not going to get the football as much, then you could utilize Dallas Goddard within that tight end position. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I think also it, it could be trade bait at mm-hmm. some point yep. in, in the year. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what went through my mind in picking yep. Goddard here was there were a couple of good wide receivers available at the time. I can't exactly remember who, but I thought, you know, might as well take him. He could be the best overall player. Yep. Mm-hmm. We know how well Dallas Goddard has been over the last couple of years. Uh, question will be how well he does with now A.J. Brown in that offense, um, in that Philly offense uh, as another pass catcher. But before I would, took the Bills in the 12th round, I went Russell Gage. I figured with he'll be that third wide receiver once uh, Mike Evans is healthy. Yeah. Oh, no, before Chris Godwin's healthy. Yeah. Um. Add some depth there. And then Kyle takes a a backup running back in Naeem Hines. I take a backup running back in Alexander Madison in the 13th round. Uh, Kyle took his defense in the 13th round, going with the Niners defense. There we know how electrifying they could be at times during the year. Yeah, I was deliberating between Niners and Colts defense. The Bills were up there too, but, I mean, Niners and Colts really stand out to me in terms of their roster. But ultimately decided to go with the Niners here. I think that they really added some pieces. They got some young guys that are getting better too um, in the secondary. So that's ultimately why I chose San Francisco as my defense. And then also – um, Chris Olave, round 14, thought that was a mm-hmm. nice depth pick. Round 15, I eventually get to my kicker. Kicker? Hot mm-hmm. Rod, respect the specs. Rodrigo Blankenship. <laughs> he was my 15th round pick. Picked him before. Had an incredible year two years ago. Last season was hurt a little bit, so he didn't play much. But um, figured, why not run him back with him? He's got a good leg. I think he has gotten bigger over the offseason, too, like in terms of muscle, so that's good to see. And then my last pick, round 16, running back Tyler Algier, uh, backup for the Falcons. Obviously, they have Cordero Patterson there, um, but he figures to be a nice depth guy. We saw him play San Diego State when he was at Qualcomm, and he was a really good running back for BYU, so I figured why not, and yeah, pretty much that's my roster running running from top to bottom. Um, Adams, Kamara, Allen, Waller, Montgomery, Jackson, Judy, Dylan, Goddard, Sanders to round out the top 10 rounds. And then 11 through 16, Kadarius, Tony, Hines, Niners defense, Olave, Blankenship, and Algier. But Brevin, for you, starting from pick 13 to the end, 
Yep. You ended up getting that depth at running back, and then you address your kicker, who yep. is always – he's your kicker every year. <laughs> uh, just about. Last year was a little bit of a uh, – kind of a surprise, uh, knowing yeah. that our kicker, I think, went, uh, Justin Tucker, went in the ninth round last year or something yeah, like that, that eighth that, or ninth that, round. That that was a rare circumstance, a rare yes. – say the least. Uh-huh, where – so where we went by the average draft position to the point just about last year. <laughs> and I figured as we're in the 14th round, I figured uh, probably the best time to get Justin Tucker. Um, so I took Justin Tucker in the 14th round. Uh, then I add a little bit of depth, get Tyler Boy from Cincinnati. And then I get his former teammate and uh, the, one of the newest members of the New York Jets, not Brees Hall, but tight end CJ Uzama um, just to add into the, that depth um, possibly one of those late round flyers you never know what he could do obviously uh, Zach Wilson's entering his second year in the NFL yeah that's a great pick Uzama I mean we saw his growth last year he just got better as the season went on so fast and that's a really good way to round out your draft there I think mm-hmm. So let's see. Kyle goes defense in round 13, kicker round 15. I go around earlier on my defense and kickers. Bills at 12 and uh, Justin Tucker at 14. And I think for me, that was just kind of way the draft played out as well as the ADP, the average draft position for them. So kind of like to get ahead of the pack uh, as best as I can because there's times We've drafted before, and I may have surprised some people in the past taking Justin Tucker in the 10th round sometimes, even in a 12-team or 14-team league, but you're going to get points from everywhere, uh, and each value counts. So my team goes uh, uh, Justin Jefferson and Keenan Allen as my top two wide receivers. Uh, Jalen Hurts is my quarterback. Uh, Leonard Fournette and Nick Chubb is my top two running backs with Darren Waller at tight end. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is RB th- uh, RB3 with A.J. Dillon at RB number four. Alexander Madison, uh, another running back in that mix. Um, other wide receivers include Allen Robinson, Traylon Burks, Russell Gage, and Tyler Boyd. With uh, backing up Darren Waller is C.J. Uzama. And then uh, Bill's defense and uh, uh, Justin Tucker kicking. Kyle, the one person I wanted to address that we both had was Darren Waller. Were you surprised to see him come in the fourth round slash fifth round where last year we saw him go in early third round, late fourth, uh, early third round, uh, round, round three and round four? Yeah, I'm not necessarily surprised because of the Raiders adding the weapons they have this offseason and for his lack of production last season. Wallers, I should say, you know, even despite the injury, didn't really pick things up after that first game where he just tore things up and went ballistic. So, no, I'm not surprised that he ended up in that four or five round spot. But I, I think that there is potential in other drafts he can go higher. He can end up going lower. I mean, it just really all comes down to personal preference. Would you take Hawkinson over Waller? I mean, that's that's totally up to you. I mean, essentially, it's a coin flip, too. But um, I've been a Darren Waller guy 
um, for years now. And despite the injury last season that kind of held him back, I mean, he's still Darren Waller. He, he's still got his speed, his hands, his size. And he's going to be a weapon regardless of the other weapons in that offense. So, I mean, mm-hmm. no reason he shouldn't be selected, um, I think, other than fourth or fifth round. I, th- I think it's fitting. Kyle, when you think about tight ends, uh, if you o- omit omit on Travis Kelsey, you omit Mark Andrews, and you had the option between Kyle Pitts or Waller, who would you take? Probably Waller. I mean, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. really uh, at this point trust that Atlanta offense. The quarterback is Mariota right now, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, he he's figures to be their top, you know, pass catcher. But then again, then again, we still don't know. So I think a lot can happen um, with free agency. I mean, you never we could see Odell Beckham go to Atlanta, and no one would ever see it coming. But it's still a possibility. So. Mm-hmm. I think you need to consider that trades can still happen. A free agent signing can still happen. Um, their situation over there in Atlanta, they're going to be a, a very run heavy offense. I think they're going to run a, a lot of RPOs just based off the weapons that they do have right now. And then obviously with really being out, that's a big blow to that offense. That gives Pitts the advantage there, but um I don't know. I, th- I think Drake London's going to be their guy. I think he should be their leading receiver. Pitt's probably a close second, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I pretty much favored that just because of the quarterback situation. Think about yeah, um, Derek Carr or his backup last the past couple of years in Mariota. And I think just that offense as a whole uh, could see more touches out of Waller compared to um compared to Kyle Pitts yeah absolutely I mean it's gonna be fun to watch too that Mm -hmm. receiving core with Zacchaeus I I think they have a lot of faith in him and then Brian Edwards being traded to Atlanta too we're all familiar with them so yep (laughs) Mm -hmm. I asked about Kyle Pitts and Darren Baller because they're right around the same average draft position or ADP around early fourth round so early to mid fourth round based on a 10 team league all right so those are kyle and i's teams um these are only mock drafts these aren't in an actual league uh but we just wanted to give a little preview to what this uh fantasy football season might bring come september uh with week one starting uh especially with Six wide receivers possibly taken in this first round. Um, actually, maybe three or four, I should say. Three wide receivers going in this first round um, without a tight end like a Travis Kelsey or maybe a Mark Andrew for a reach. Yeah, and if you're listening and wondering why we're talking about fantasy football so early on in the summer – you know, I think it all comes back to fantasy football really is a year-round thing. Whether it's summer, whether it's in season, I mean, football is essentially year-round in more than one way. And that even applies to people playing other sports, mm-hmm. apparently. Because Tommy Pham and Jock Peterson, they kind of got into it last Friday after we 
recorded episode 50. And we had to wait just about a week to talk about this, but Brevin, break break this down for us. What happened and why is Mike Trout getting involved? So basically, uh, when the Giants were in Cincinnati uh, getting set for a three-game series, Jack Peterson's out in left field. Um, I'm pretty sure his team was hitting, or if not, no, the Reds were hitting. Because uh, the home team always hits first, um, and then the visiting team goes back to back. But uh, yeah, so the Reds were hitting, and then the Giants just came out, just started stretching and getting set. And so Tommy Pham sees Jock Peterson. They supposedly say hello to each other, and Tommy Pham drops this question of, "Hey, you remember what happened last year in fantasy football?" Uh, of why you uh, decided to stash your bench with Jeff Wilson Jr. from the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> I was, and at first I'm thinking, how come out of all players, it's Jeff Wilson Jr.? Nothing against Jeff Wilson Jr. I but mean, yeah, it's so random. And why is this being brought up now? Mm-hmm. Like, dude, why are you thinking about something that happened months ago? Yeah. When when no one is thinking about football. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. And then supposedly there was this issue that Tommy Pham took with it. And because of that, he uh slapped Jack Peterson over the face, uh, similar to what we saw during the Oscars with uh Will Smith and Chris Rock. Uh, yeah, there's um, some video of it. Then, and I was like, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Your first like you see the video and it's like wait what what's going on here and then because it's so unusual to see a an incident take place during batting practice yeah because usually we see either in the tunnel after a game or during a game we don't really see it before a game three hours before before game time and on top of that in Cincinnati that night there was a rain delay. So there was more time for it, more time for uh, between that incident and first pitch out of Great American Ballpark. Yeah, that's just, I mean, you never expect to see a story like that, let alone in May, June, whatever time of year it is right now. (laughs) To see that go down, that, that whole situation, and then his suspension happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was suspended three games, basically, for the rest of the series. I mean, I just, I don't really know what went through that guy's head in that situation to bring that up. I mean, clearly, he wanted to ask him in person for a reason. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a problem with stashing someone on a bench, which I don't know why you're so pressed about to begin with, but... Why wouldn't you call him out at the time? Why do you have mm-hmm. to wait months later to do it and then cause a scene? I mean, Tommy Pham in this instance, he did it to himself. A three-game suspension, I don't know if that long of a suspension is deserved, but uh, it just, I mean, obviously it just depends how Peterson feels about it. Uh-huh. As yes. the one being slapped in the face. So. Uh-huh. I think primarily the, the length of the suspension was just to make sure nothing spilled between these two teams during a game. Right. I think that's the only thing. I could see that, yeah. 
Yeah, like if this was a two-game series between the Giants and Reds, it would have been a two-game suspension. Yeah. And it's just because you don't want to have anything happen on the field. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And then uh, and then one thing about Jack Peterson, he was open to the media about this whole conversation and discussion that took place out in left field because not only because we found out that this conversation wasn't just about fantasy football, but it was also against Tommy Pham's former team, the Padres. And he put together this gif of three, three players lifting a weight and two of them lift their weight just as, just as they would, as you would expect. And the other one falls and collapses. And he was jokingly putting that, uh, in comparison to what the Padres did last year in the second half, because this is about when the, when this was going on last year within the group chat. And as a Padre fan, I really didn't know how to take this because it's like, from my perspective, I'm laughing because of what's going on. But then you think about what 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 is next led to within this GIF, and it was just. <laughs> I went from, okay, this is hilarious to indifferent about this whole situation. Yeah, I mean, it's, he's trolling him on purpose. Uh-huh. And I don't, I don't know, Fam just doesn't know how to take it the right way in this instance. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a bunch of stuff that really doesn't matter that just turned into a situation that, I mean, we shouldn't be in this position talking about no. it. I'll be honest with you, but we are because it was made a big deal because he got slapped, and so yes, um, the, there was physical contact. Yeah, so so the context behind it is obviously very silly, but uh-huh. when you see contact, you know, being drawn on another person, mm-hmm. that's when it becomes serious. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's mm-hmm. a weird thing to talk about. I've never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. But, too, you think about Jock Peterson's side and on the fantasy football football aspect, the, there is some pretty – there's some strategy to it, especially yeah. uh, when Kyle and I were battling out for that championship two years ago. You know, if there was a tie between our championship, the tiebreaker was bench points. And so yeah. maybe that's where that came into play. I mean, if a player's out, you can put him on IR because that was – part of that whole discussion right um but you think about i don't know what the league rules are within that league in terms of bench points in terms of tiebreakers but bench points might have meant something that maybe tommy fan missed or something like that yeah um and then a couple days later tommy fam talks to the media once again and drops another name and this was Another SoCal name is yeah. Mike Trout, who is the commissioner of that league. And but also in that group chat, going back to that group chat, there's also I think Tom Vam said there were four or five other Padres players in that group chat as well. Yeah. So, but now going on to this Mike Trout aspect, he's the commissioner of that league. Yeah, of course, Trout has to randomly get involved in something that. He- he doesn't care about. I guarantee you, he doesn't care about no. this at all. Uh-uh. And, and that's probably why the Angels are losing, like they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tommy Pham 
telling uh, the Cincinnati Inquirer's Bobby Nightingale, uh, fam, while laughing, said Trout did a terrible job, man. <laughs> Trout is the worst commissioner in fantasy sports because he allowed a lot of stuff, I'm putting that stuff in parentheses, yeah. uh, to go on, and he could have solved it all. I don't want to be the commissioner. I've got other stuff to do. Trout didn't want to do it. Why are you complaining? Yeah. (laughs) We put it on him, so it's kind of our fault, too, because we made him commissioner. Okay, so then what? Dude, I just... Then that comes back to... Uh, Okay. (laughs) My thing is, at this point, just stop talking. You're making the case for yourself. Uh Uh-huh. Then that question became out of all of that. Why did he talk to Jock Peterson in the first place? Here's the thing. If you care so much about your fantasy football league, then why weren't you the commissioner to begin with? Uh If you wanted to pass the responsibility off to someone else, why weren't you the one to do it if you really care that much Mm -hmm. about what happened? Yeah. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's pretty much it for me on this one, honestly. I mean, it's it's just silly. That's the only Mm -hmm. word that you can use here. Mm -hmm. There were some things that we still don't know about that fantasy league where – Jock Peterson finished in that league. Yeah. If Tommy Pham was the treasurer of that league. Um, yeah. So there's still some, some open-ended questions that may never be answered uh, for everyone to know about. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know if I ever want to know, but yeah, it's, uh-huh. I mean, Tommy Pham, he's never necessarily been a likable guy, especially, you know, with the Padres, the situation that he did, you know, leaving there. But um, I I don't know. I mean, there's – it's just so pointless talking Mm -hmm. about this. I mean, obviously, the issue is not pointless because of what happened, but just the whole situation is just why Mm -hmm. is this big news, you know? Yeah, Uh uh-huh. And this is a story that – has been circulating around and will continue to for the days to come too, because I don't know, people are just really intrigued about this kind of thing. This is going to go down too. You're when we think about this, whether it's one year, two years later about fantasy football suspensions and fines and things like this, we're now going to know that Tommy Pham was suspended three games and slapped someone was also fined an undisclosed amount because he slapped Jock Peterson over fantasy football. Yeah, I mean, that that just sounds kind of sad, <laughs> you know? So, I, I don't know. Um, we'll see if anything else comes out of the situation. Yeah. I don't think anything will. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's uh, definitely kind of odd. Yeah, because of how much fantasy football has grown, I heard this subject was even talked amongst NASCAR drivers as well, um, current uh, NASCAR drivers. Uh, I don't know. I didn't know specific, but I didn't hear about that. Um, but yeah, it was obviously circulating around probably every single fantasy sports uh, organization, ESPN, NFL fantasy. Yeah, like Adam Schefter tweeted out. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's amplifying that right there. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to move on from talking fantasy football, but segue into baseball. It's kind of our little segue going fantasy football to baseball there, but yeah. now we're going to talk about the Padres, and now the Padres are in the midst of their longest losing streak of the year at four after losing tonight in Milwaukee despite entering the ninth inning with a four-run 
for the one lead. Uh, the Milwaukee scored four runs in the Man. final inning off Padres closer uh, Taylor Rogers. So after getting swept in St. Louis, Manny Machado and Bob Melvin getting ejected on Tuesday night. Now the bullpen can't seal a three-run lead. The Padres are four games back. Or no, they're still, they've lost four in a row. And uh, I think they're still three or four games back because the Dodgers have also have a losing streak of their own um, and got swept in Pittsburgh or got swept at home against the Pittsburgh Pirates for the first time in 22 years. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, obviously the Padres being on their slump. I mean, what's kind of been the issue there? Is it, you know, pitching not being able to keep up? You mentioned Rodgers here tonight, but um, you see that kind of slowing down a little bit? They're, they're pitching? I don't think it – I think tonight it was the bullpen more, but yeah. the bullpen really hasn't had a situation like this or not as many times, and I think the biggest thing – or the past few weeks has just been their situational hitting and how well they can try and hit the ball to drive in runs, getting runners over and getting runners in. And I think that's been the key things for this Padres. And you're facing some good teams here. Uh, face the Cardinals. You face um, Milwaukee. And you got to come home and play the Mets. So these next five or six games are going to be difficult for the Friars. Yeah, I feel like this stage of the season, it's so telling for a lot of teams, you know, the, the beginning of the summer months, June, essentially, it's really when schedules get more difficult just in general. I mean, there's some interleague play going on, there's divisional battles, and obviously we've seen that with the Padres, and now we see it with the Angels too. Last week, I talked about how it's their most important month of the season coming up here, mm-hmm. and... With the Angels, they have not taken that to heart because it has not gone well, to say the least. It's been a rough past, I mean, week, to be honest. I can't even say a few days. It's been the entire week where the Angels just haven't been able to do anything whatsoever. They are currently writing a, I believe, seven or eight game losing streak. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's it's current. So they so they lost the Rangers. They had four to the Jays and swept by the Yankees. Okay, eight games right there. And now they travel to Philly this weekend, playing on the road. Some more interleague action there. Philly in a decent spot in their division, but I mean, it's just tough to see, especially for the Angels that series against the Blue Jays, where they lose three out of four games just by a run. And now here today with the Yankees doubleheader, first game, Otani gets cranked. Second game, they're getting no hit through pretty they're much. Getting perfected through seven. Yeah, per- perfect through seven. And then eighth inning, Walsh steps up. He gets a hit. Suzuki drives him in. But then Oliver Ortega, bottom of the eighth, he comes in, gives up two runs. And that's that. Angels are swept. Eight-game losing streak. And right now, the Angels are just two games above 500. And here we go again. (laughs) This happens every single year. Mm -hmm. Here we go again. (laughs) And right now, too, the Angels, they're 
they're that final team in the American League in the quote-unquote playoff picture right now. Uh, they would be that third team um, with a two-game lead on the Rangers and the Indians, and they are three and a half games back of Tampa Bay for that second wild card spot. Yeah, it's the collapse of the past week, losing every day, um, being in the position that they're in. Obviously, something needs to change, and again, it goes back to pitching. The lineup has put up numbers or enough numbers, but we've seen some, you know, not so good starts from Syndergaard, Otani, the guys that you expect to put together good starts, Lorenzen too. And now the bullpen as well, like I mentioned today with Ortega, we've seen it other times throughout the week. It's just not getting the job done. And now it's uh, kind of an awkward state to be in, especially with, you know, the pitching not there overall and your ace Otani um, just having a really bad day today, giving up so many solo shots and Joe Madden saying afterwards that he was tipping pitches. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's kind of been a difficult thing right now. Obviously we're getting into June, uh, as you mentioned, but also, you know, we're, we're about eight, seven, eight weeks away from the trade deadline. And this is the probably the point in the season where GMs are starting to get together with their with with the front office and trying to decide, or their baseball execs are trying to decide, are we trying to be buyers? Are we going to be sellers? You know, how are we going to approach uh, the trade deadline uh, in the next seven eight weeks uh, based on how the team on the field is playing? Um, you know, over these next, like I mentioned, these next couple of months. Yeah, it's definitely going to be fun to watch. I think both Padres and Angels, I mean, both teams that are going through rough patches right now and tough mm -hmm. schedules, but it's uh, a telling time, like I said, for both these teams. And um, this is where you got to prove that you're among the best, um, getting through adversity and performing at high levels, especially when you're on the road against these really good teams and these long series. Mm-hmm. Right. We're going to keep you updated as the Major League Baseball season continues. But before we end, we are going to get to trivia and I'll let Kyle take it away. Yeah. So we have trivia featuring Brevin Honda in this here, episode 51. And we are going with the theme of NBA Finals. And this is a question with 12 names. And these are all players with multiple NBA finals. Wow. Okay. So this could be a little tough. Some names on here. 12? Yeah. So, so it's 12 total with multiple wow. NBA finals awards. Um, oh, finals MVPs. Yeah. Fi finals MVP okay. awards. I was like, multiple. And, yeah. <laughs> Sorry if NBA I didn't mention champions. finals MVP awards. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I was like, man. <laughs> There's only 12 players that have only won multiple NBA let, let me just Let me just name, like, 20,000 <laughs> players. No, I'm just kidding. There's, um, there's 12 Celtics alone that have won multiple championships. <laughs> exactly. But, oh, yeah. finals MVPs, oh. let me clarify. Okay. 12 players who have won multiple. Okay. And if you want specifics, it is seven who have won two finals MVPs. Okay. 
three players who have won three, and then uh-huh. one player who's won four, one player who's won six. I think you can name that one. All right. Let's see. Names that I could think of, multiple MVPs. Okay, I'm going to start early and go with uh, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, yes. There you go. Two finals MVPs for him. He was mm-hmm. sensational in Golden State, mm-hmm. and that's why they were able to really continue that dynasty, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And here Part, One of the dynasty? Yeah, one, whichever, whatever oh, we consider. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So right. that's one. Uh-huh. Next, next in line would be Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant also had two. Yes. Had two. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, we talked about him earlier, the moneymaker, the highest paid player in the NBA with over a billion dollars, LeBron James. That's right. LeBron has four. Um, obviously, he is dominant like he always has been, and that's why he has the second most at four. Mm-hmm. Uh, at three finals MVPs uh, at the turn of the century, Shaquille O'Neal. Yep, Shaq's on there. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. Okay, I'm not gonna start reaching yet, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for sure. Um, Bill Russell. Bill Russell is actually not on this list. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. All right. That's um, something I would have expected too. Uh huh. Uh, let's see. What was gonna think of? What about Dr. J? Dr. J, Dr. Julius Irving mm-hmm. is also not on this list. Wow, okay. Um, um, let's see. Oh, here we go. How about Lou Alcindor, aka Kareem Abdul Jabbar? Yes, he has two as well. So there you go. You have three players with two so far. Let's see. Three out of the seven. I feel like I want to say, but Tim Duncan. Yeah, there you go. Tim Duncan has three, so he's one of three. Joining Shaq. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see. Who else can I think of? Uh, Let's see. I'm going way back here. How about George Mikan? That's actually a really good guess, but he's not. With the on- Minneapolis Lakers. Yeah, he is not on the nope. list, but that, that is a good guess, though. Uh, okay, let's see. Let's see if I can nail some of these Celtics if Bill Russell wasn't one. Um, Bob Cousy? Cousy's not on this list no. either, actually. Kevin McHale? Mikhail not on this list either. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting close to that Celtic, so I'm just trying to figure out who that was. And they won 10, 11 straight championships. Yeah. Oh, how about Larry Bird? There you go. That's the one you're looking for. Uh-huh. He had two. Okay. So there you go. He's up there as well. Mm-hmm. And now you need three more players with two. Uh, one more player with three, and then one player with six. Okay. Um, 
with the magician magic johnson there you go yeah he has three so mm -hmm. there you go you've knocked that off and now you're looking for pretty much one two three four um okay i'm just gonna skip the celtics because the six finally came into play uh, had a whole documentary about him during the pandemic i'm gonna go with uh the the starring role in the last dance michael jordan there you go he's the one with six obviously uh -huh. so you're looking for three more now three more players with just two finals mvps one of them you should get for sure when I'm a rocket? Yes. Okay. Uh, all right, I can name a couple. Uh, he was not on the uh, 50 greatest players, but he was part of the 75th uh, team this year. Dominique Wilkins. That's a good guess, but oh. it's actually not him. Yeah. Okay. Well, then... Next guest of a rocket would be Clyde Drexler. And it is not him either. Oh, it's not him either? Yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> and all the, all the good names. Uh-huh. First overall pick is who you're looking for here. Oh. David Robinson didn't play for the Rockets. <laughs> Barkley, no, he didn't win a championship, so. Mm-hmm. You hear that practically every other week on TNT between Shaq and Charles. So yeah, no way you win a Finals MVP. You hear Shaq talk about it every single time. Right. <laughs> oh, and no way it's not for Matumbo. I know that for sure. Yeah, not him. He might have wagged a finger, but didn't get a Finals MVP. <laughs> um, hmm. you're gonna hear this name and just be. I know. Upset if you can't get it. Yeah. Trying to think. And I know the big three in Boston in the early 2000s only won one. So not, not Kevin Garnett, not Paul Pierce, or Rajon Rondo. Right. Um, oh. Let's see. Um. Oh, let's see. I said Bob Cousy, said Kevin McHale. Yep. Um, Larry Bird was the 80s. I'm trying to think of the finals MVP during the Celtics 10 or 11 game championship run. Oh, right. Can't think of it. All right, Kyle, I'm going to throw on the right flag. Who did I miss? All right. Well, the one that you missed that you're going to be upset about. The Rocket. Kawhi Leonard. Oh, Kawhi's on here? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. One, two. Okay. So one with the Spurs, one with Toronto. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So there's one. The next you're looking for is Hakeem Olajuwon. That's what it is, Hakeem. There you go. Yeah. So that's the Rockets player you're looking for. Uh -huh. The one I didn't expect you to get. Willis Reed. Oh, he was the one from the Celtics. Yeah, so he 
so he actually played for the Knicks. Oh, that's right. And, um, so he was a center for the Knicks. Oh, yeah, because um, championship. went on to coach in his career later on, but 1970 and 73, he was finals MVP. Huh? Okay. So that was a big throwback, but his number 19 is actually retired by the Knicks. So fun fact. Him? And he was he was actually also on the seventy fifth anniversary team as well. So yep. Mm-hmm. That is an interesting fact there. But now it's yeah, the nine out of twelve was pretty good. Who did I miss from the Celtics? That that was it from the Celtics, at least from the that list. was it. Yeah, that was it from the Celtics. Celtics finals MVPs. Interesting that you bring that up. I should actually look um, because they win eleven championships. Right. Uh, Celtics, uh, Cedric Maxwell was one. Joe White was another. John Havlicek was another. Um, Larry Bird twice, obviously. Yeah. Um, Paul Pierce. Um, yeah. Oh, they, all, they all just took one each then. Yeah. Okay. So, obviously... Jerry West, the first to do it in 69 with the Lakers. Uh-huh. But then Willis Reed was yeah. second finals MVP. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. That's, I'll take that. Yeah, that's, that's not bad. 9 out of 12 is, is pretty solid. So 75%. NBA, yeah, NBA finals going on. Figured might as well stick with the theme. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's what we're going to do. We're going to keep you guys updated as well as – this series goes on here um episode 51 we're gonna wrap this up here right now thank you so much for listening again it's thursday june 2nd we're wrapping this up right around 10 p.m here on the west coast um had a great episode here tonight got into some eastern conference finals real quick before we got into game one which we all watched tonight and then got into the lakers new hire lebron being the first billion dollar nba player the match as well um, gotten to our mock drafts fantasy MLB news like you just heard and then trivia and then next week we're going to have a great episode as well hopefully we're able to get a guest on there but that's going to be episode 52 so while it is the year mark week wise it's not necessarily our one year anniversary so we just have coming up close yeah we are getting very close to our one year anniversary but today obviously officially passing the half century mark with episode 51 so mm-hmm. yeah thank you so much for listening again you can follow me on twitter at kyle b Betts. follow brevin at brevin honda on twitter as well and we will be back here next week talking some more nba finals we're going to get into the latest with mlb perhaps even reveal our all-star picks i think it's not too early to get into a little bit of that and then we'll also keep you updated on what happens within the NFL, if any free agent moves happen, if any trades happen, we have a lot to get into here as summer is just now getting started. So thank you again for listening to Down the Line and we will be back next week.